Hello and welcome to another episode of Woman Advantage. I am super excited to have Shayna Goldman on for my next guest. Uh, she has been everywhere on the internet from The Athletic to Hockey Graphs to SB Nation to Twitter, which I think we're all on Twitter at this point. Uh, welcome, Shayna. Thanks for having me. I'll just jump right on in. How did you get started in hockey? Um, I never intended to be here, actually. Um, I was in, I was, I went to school for journalism originally and I hated it, ironically enough. And uh, so I quit that <laughs> and <laughs> switched to business. And I was going to go for accounting for grad and I ended up going for sports. And uh, while I was in grad school, I did an internship with Sport Techie to start writing. And it was sticking with things that were outside the game to game kind of uh, news. And I liked that a lot and kind of realized I never wanted to do in-game stuff. I didn't want to write about players. I didn't want to touch like any of it. And then I did. Um, <laughs> so I started, uh, Ryan Stimson had the tracking project and doing like shot assist and things like that. And as I was doing that, I already liked hockey analytics. So I decided to try to spin a story out of it for Sport Techie because it was something having to do with sports and technology with all the analytics things. So Ryan, I got to interview for it, and uh, Michael Blake McCurdy, and um, I think Sean Tierney, and Matt Kane and Carolyn Wilkie, and all different people that I got to meet that way. And then from there, I started building, you know, connections. I started writing actually about stuff with teams from uh, the Golden Knights before the expansion draft, and then I started at Banrag Sports and uh, Blue Shirt Banter, and from there hockey graphs and the athletic and it just kind of like from each opportunity you meet people and it opens up doors for other opportunities so yeah that's awesome I think we're all very grateful that you started that project because you've done some really really cool stuff thank you you've worked on so many different projects and for so many different like publications at this point how does working for and with so many different groups like shape the way that you interact with like your hockey analysis and what you're working on? With each place, I'm with different people for the most part. And obviously there's some overlap, but so you get to talk with so many different people and learn about their work ethics and their um, styles and, and just different projects they have. So I think from there you can learn from so many different people and different styles from, you know, the athletic, it's a lot of more there's a lot of reporting going on and that's not something that I do too often. So you get to like read up on that and see how others do it and ask questions for hockey graphs. Obviously there's a lot of the uh, statistics and math and all of that. So you can bring them basically any question having to do with math or computers and learn from that too. And obviously there's, you know, different uh, people do systems analysis there. So you can try to take notes and um, kind of just blend it all together and, you learn from each place and it just, I think, helps round out what I do. That's awesome. One of my favorite things that you work on is your work around coaching. Um, what made you want to look at the people who work behind the bench in hockey? So that actually started um, Mike Murphy, who I write with at uh, Blue Shirt Banter. We were doing a mailbag together. And it was right before Elaine Vigneault got fired. And people were asking who we wanted to replace him if he were to be fired. And uh, we knew we didn't want it to be the same retread of a different NHL coach that's been fired before or recently that would just bring the same recycled ideas. So we were thinking AHL coaches and assistant coaches. Problem is, 
there's no database just for that information for you to look around and know this is these are all the options for coaches that focus on defense. And this is a team that has a horrible defense, and if they're going to need anything, this would be it. So why not look at just those options? And we really couldn't do it. So we were joking around that we should do it ourselves. And one day we were like, actually, let's do it ourselves. And we built it up over like an entire summer doing our research and trying to find everything, which it was pretty tricky from like the earlier years. Our earliest year in there is uh, 2010. And to find the information for what coaches did what then was tough because not every single article even was on the internet then. You know, these are basic things you'd look for on Twitter. It's not going back to 2010 for so many people. You know, not everyone was necessarily on Twitter that was covering the sport then or whatever. So um, from there, we just figured, like, let's just keep building it. And we got different ideas that we're still trying to do, like um, penalty minutes for coaching we're going to add in. So it'll be things from bench minors to the penalties they accrue with Coach's Challenge now and things like that. So we can keep building it from here. Wow. Yeah. The NHL is just giving you more and more layers that you get to work with. That's exciting. Yeah. Um, so if, when, I'm hoping it's more when, do you think we'll see a woman behind the bench in the NHL? That's a good question. Um, I hope sooner rather than later. And I really hope the NHL can take the page out of other sports. You see coaches um, in the NFL and now really in the NBA that are women joining in and you have professional women's players. And I know the NHL is such a sport that it, it relies on former players to do anything, which I think that's an issue in itself, obviously, but um, there's professional women's hockey players that are so prominent now that it's, that maybe it's worth turning to them just for a different perspective. I think you'll see more like development coaches coming in and maybe skills coaches and things like that before you actually see on the bench. And it's it's disappointing that like you can't be too optimistic about it because the progress to this point has been so slow. But the nice part is there has been some progress, but I think it's going to be some time before we really see one on the bench. And once we do, I think it'll be it'll be kind of great. It's similar to like teams that embrace analytics. If it works, other teams might go, okay, there's a thought process there. But if it doesn't, it just is going to push it back. And you look at like the Florida Panthers and, you know, they came out saying we're going to embrace data and things didn't work. And though it wasn't the fault of their new mindset, it was so many other things like injuries and a coach not wanting to exactly follow along with that plan and all things like that. It's still everyone came back to the same conclusion that didn't want to have that mindset in the first place that, oh, it's that fault. That's at fault. So let's not do it. It doesn't work. So once the team finally does it and it works, we'll see more. But until that point, I don't see any progress happening anytime soon. Yeah. It's like a self-fulfilling prophecy where we're assuming, not we, but you know, the universal we are assuming that women can't coach. And so when you bring a woman in and she does and she doesn't succeed, even if it's not her fault, we'll blame it and be like, oh, well, we said it couldn't work. Right, right. And you can see it with the positions of uh, Toronto, you know, it's been adding women to their front office and things like that. And already there's pushback of like, what makes them qualified? And that, you know, if they're a former player, then what makes any former player qualified to start coaching, especially those that don't start at the lower levels and work their way up, you know, and some of these players, not for nothing that become coaches, it's not like they're great players, you know, Steve Ott's an assistant coach. No one would look at his career and go, you know what? He'd make a great coach. He had a fantastic career. Like, it's not happening like that. And I feel like the first woman coach will probably be 
a bigger name and a higher profile person like maybe a Hillary Knight or something like that if you know she was interested in it because those are the names that they know that they'll grasp to instead of the depth players and the grinders that you often see go into those coaching roles in the NHL. Yeah, which is unfortunate because a lot of times those star players aren't fit to be coaches, whereas like yeah. those depth players who see the game in a different way are fit to be a coach. Yeah. 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 That's well, hopefully one day soon before we die. Yeah, it'd be nice. <laughs> just to be just something small. Just just like an assistant coach would be fine. Um video coach, eye in the sky, anything, you know, yeah. just just to start even more development coaches. Yeah. Why not? Or some scouts would be cool just because like we've had scouts happening, like scouting has happened in such a similar way for such a long time. It'd be really interesting to have like that female perspective. Yeah. And I think that's why what Seattle's doing is so important, how they have Cami Granado as a scout. Like, you know, she, she knows the game from her playing career, from her family's playing careers and all of that. So I think she's a great person to have in there. And if anyone wants to come in and say, oh, how is she qualified? Well, I think who is it? Ulf Samuelson's also a scout. What made him qualified to start it when he started scouting and coaching and so on and so forth? You know, it's the same question. So hopefully she can find success there and other teams will follow suit that way too. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So you have been working in and around hockey for, you know, a relatively long time at this point. Where do you see yourself going next within, you know, the hockey community or with what you're working on? That's a good question. Uh I'd like to do it full time. That's like I have multiple jobs and multiple roles right now. So it'd be nice to just have one and have that security that I can just focus solely on this and, you know, try to invest in projects a little bit more because even things like learning new concepts in the off season, it's like I still have to work another job and I still have other things going on that it's not my sole focus. And I wonder if it was, if I could accomplish more, um, Other than that, you know, I really want to start getting more into like systems analysis. And uh, Allison Lucan's been helping me a lot with uh, special teams because she had the stories like last year on Columbus's power play and, you know, their power kill. And uh, the Rangers don't have a good penalty kill, so they're probably not going to be my focus of that anytime soon. But I have uh, the Rangers with a good power play and I have the Islanders with a very bad power play. So I'm going to start like applying concepts to both of theirs to understand it better and hopefully from there build out. And uh, if I can add that to what I do, I think it would help, you know, just expand the coverage in general and give a different look. And, you know, it'd be nice to just keep learning like that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm always grateful for people like Allison who do really good special teams coverage because that's the part of the game that I'm most fascinated by. And I feel like, so much of what we focus on is five on five, which makes sense because that's the majority of the game. But for those people like me who really love watching penalty kills, like it's really cool when people want to actually look into it. Yeah. And the work they do, you know, from uh, Megan Hall's work on special teams, you know, it's, it's really interesting. And um, Sean Ferris has done a lot with the Bruins and there's so many different parts of it that are so interesting. And then you find yourself watching the game and like realizing formations and things like that. And yeah, it makes us bigger nerds, but it, it, you know, it makes it more fun that you're recognizing that stuff as you're seeing it. But, uh, that the teams I cover, I don't know if I'll get to do anything fun penalty kill wise soon. Cause, uh, the strategy is kind of like here, Henrik Lundqvist 
stop all the pucks and then we'll say we have a good penalty kill. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. A good penalty kill can um, really be boosted by a good goalie. Yeah. In what ways do you think hockey can grow to be more inclusive? I think it would start to not, it, it can start by not being run by white men. Um, sounds like a really basic concept, but <laughs> it's something that, that they haven't figured out yet. And uh, if you're marketing to fans and you're a white man, for some reason they think, you know, like the general uh, women fan, you know, women out there who are fans are going to want to see a hat with sparkles on it and a pink jersey and bullshit like that. And I think that it's fine to offer that as well. But it'd be nice if they got into something a little deeper than that to market to their fans. Um, I think that there's so many ways to be more inclusive from a marketing uh, perspective from a perspective of the team that's on the ice, because anytime you have a player out there who isn't just another white guy, there's a problem. There's a tag attached to them that they're a problem child. They have an attitude. You don't want them on your team. You know, you hear it constantly, like PK Subban, even who's a fantastic defenseman, you're constantly hearing so many things about his personality that you don't hear about anyone else. And Maybe it's true in some cases that a player does have an attitude, you know, obviously it can happen, but it's too easy to throw that tag on him because he isn't white and he doesn't blend in with the rest of the team. So fans need to be more uh, accepting and not going and degrading players that aren't your prototypical hockey player. And maybe that's because, you know, they have that idea of what the hockey player should be. And that's a problem in itself there. Um, and if fans can be more accepting, it would open up more kids, I guess, willing to join hockey. Because if you're a kid and you see these problems that others are facing, why would you put yourself in that position? You might want to just choose a different sport and avoid it altogether. Um, I think that it starts with kids too. Um, they could be more accepting when anyone wants to play hockey and really show it is for anyone who wants to instead of pushing them out while they're young too. Obviously, like there's always been something about hockey that kind of um, that pushed anyone else out. And it could be that attitude of like, oh, you're playing? Like I don't expect you to play because we play. And I think that's wrong. And I think that goes for men, women, and anyone else like looking to join the sport. Um, it'd be nice if there was more inclusivity from fans towards women and towards media professionals that are women. It'd be great if you didn't get insulted because you said something about a player that a person didn't dislike and they said, you don't belong here, go back to the kitchen. But you still have asshole men like <laughs> running their mouth and saying that shit because it's not the norm to have women. And until it is, I mean, even when they're, when when it is, I'm sure you're going to hear shit. But until it is, it's just going to be more and more. And it just puts up barriers for the sport that shouldn't be there. And maybe there'll always be barriers in sports as a whole. But if hockey can better themselves that they're leading the charge instead of being the one that's constantly falling behind when it comes to being inclusive, it would make it a much more welcoming sport for everyone. And as much as they want to push hockey's for everyone, they're doing the bare minimum. So it goes at every single level from the top, from the leagues, from the teams, from the players, from kids, from fans, from everything that everyone outright needs to do better. And 
that's where you'll start seeing a difference because it can't only be one, but you have to start somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. Hockey's always kind of felt like a very closed circle. Like it's really hard to get in. And even once you're in, people always kind of label you as other if you haven't been in the sport since you were, you know, playing as a kid or didn't have parents who played or whatever. And I feel like it's particularly challenging for women who get into the sport later in life or for people of color who get into the sport later in life because they've already been labeled as other because they are a woman or a person of color. But then not knowing the sport, people don't want to explain it to them. And they are, you know, for lack of a better term, assholes (laughs) about, um, about people asking questions. Yeah. And, you know, it definitely helps. Unfortunately, like, you don't want it that women or people of color have to go to the white men and say, hey, we need your help. But it really would help to have that support and have players coming out, you know, talking and being more supportive. You hear players like Blake Wheeler showing their support or um, with the Swedish hockey for women with the boycott, Mika Zibanejad and Henrik Lundqvist and players like that. Like the more that they do, the more it'll help. And obviously not everyone wants that responsibility, but I guess for NHLers, you're playing at the highest level. Everyone knows it around the world. This is the highest level. So it, that the onus is on them too, to, to do as much as possible, which might just be opening their mouth once in a while and saying something. You know, no one wants to have to have that responsibility, but you're in the league. You just do. Yeah. And it's, it's so hard to put that onus on the players, but they are the public face of the league. And we're not getting it from GMs and very infrequently do we get it from coaches or from the very top. And so it is like those public faces that kind of have to take those first steps and make the league follow, like follow suit. Yeah, totally. And, and then, you know, from that it's the league and which players they're marketing, you know, Mm -hmm. not for nothing as great as Connor McDavid is greatest player in the league, all that, or Sidney Crosby their personalities don't exactly invite anyone in either that when you had a player like PK Subban go to Nashville, you know, there was a prime opportunity right there and that could have helped. And that's a big personality in a Southern market too. So you have that untraditional vibe of being the Nashville predators there. There was so much there that it would seem like such a missed opportunity. If they could be better in that way, I'm sure it would help. And when you hear Jacob Truba talking about his decision to go to New York and him talking about his wife's career and how important it is, and we're all saying how wonderful it is, and it is, we're saying it's wonderful because you don't hear it enough. Yeah. And it's, it, there's so many problems that have to be fixed that it's not going to be done in a day, but just baby steps along the way would help. Yeah, exactly. It's, it can be very frustrating. So thank you for persevering and continuing to do what you do because it's awesome. Uh, <laughs> So, um, what do, like, how do you think we can get more women involved in hockey? Just like at every level, not just as fans, but like encouraging more women to write or, you know, play. Hmm. I guess, I mean, women, it sucks saying, but you have to be like, they have to know what they're getting into and not be deterred by the pushback that they're going to face. Because no matter what, if you're a woman and you're talking about hockey, you're going to have to hear it some way or another if you're a woman and you're playing hockey. So it would help to have more people explain it. And I think break it down in a way that's understandable for everyone. And it's not, it doesn't have to necessarily be geared at women. And if anyone does put out explainers, it should not be men doing it. Um, a few weeks ago, there was that baseball thing circulating around. And it was a man telling women 
you know, bonus points to have with their boyfriends about baseball and asking, you know, certain questions they shouldn't be asking and all of that. Like, it can't be that. It has to be done in a way from the start that it comes off as accepting and actually that they want women to, you know, be be included in it. But I think it comes from doing nights that will, you know, market towards women for hockey teams that that'll definitely help. And um, just putting out basic women's gear that, you know, it's the same t-shirt as a men's, but maybe cut more towards a woman. It like it would go, it shows the little steps that they take that I think it would be more inviting towards women. And others, you know, women that are doing it, uh, out here in media and everything like that, I guess it's it's them setting examples and I don't know, showing how they can succeed. It it hopefully can inspire someone else to want to do it. Yeah, yeah, that's so true. And the just giving women gear that is like the same as the men's gear, but cut for a woman is a hill that I am willing to die on. It's so simple. I want nothing more than just like the same basic t-shirt that every guy has, but just like cut for a woman. I don't want a V-neck. Like I don't want any of that. I just want a, like a woman's And cut. not only that, you get the V-neck and it's not the same color. The logo is like half faded on it that it's not even like an exact replica that's cut into a, a V-neck and it's skin tight. Like no matter what you do, you're buying one that's skin tight, but mm-hmm. it's like, oh, thanks. It's, it's so simple. Yeah, or you're buying a size like two sizes bigger than you usually would, just so it fits you how you normally yeah, wear a and shirt. Even with jerseys, you know, like you give men a baggier look for a jersey, and they can still put a sweatshirt underneath it. If you're too tapered for a women's jersey, it that's not the case. But the problem is, like, it's not like women can just go buy men's jerseys necessarily. Like they're huge. You know, you don't want something that's a dress and that you have to alter or do something to, and you know. There's no problem with having stuff that's just men's styles and just women's. Like if they did sweatshirts and they were different styles or things like that. But basic things like player t-shirts, it shouldn't be that you Mm -hmm. have to buy a size that now you know fits awkwardly on you. Or, oh no, it comes up so high on your neck, you have to cut it. Little things. Mm -hmm. Or just like a women's jersey that is the actual logo and not screen printed. That would be nice. Like that's that's all I really want. All I want is like a nice replica jersey that doesn't fit me like I'm swimming in it and that has like just the the real logo that's it I feel like I'm not no, asking for you much should get the same you know I understood if like even for kids it was like oh well we don't give as high quality ones out there for kids because they grow out of it quickly and the main seller they should have the option for polls but if the main seller was like screen printed whatever but you know these are adults buying jerseys and if they want to spend their money on a jersey give them the high quality stuff that you're giving them in yeah yeah it's it's frustrating. Yeah. Um, so on on that high note, um, do you have any advice for anyone who is just like looking to get into hockey, you know, kind of what you're doing, which is like some analysis and writing? Um, yeah. So learn everything you can, like uh, read everything, even read writers that you don't like because it might tell you things that you make sure you never want to do. You know, there there are a handful of writers that I would read and I would go, I just don't ever want to have, maybe it's their tone or they're missing details or things like that. And everyone's writing style is going to be different, but learn, just learn and absorb everything you can from everyone. And people give advice and, you know, criticism, take it all in. And it's, it's all about how you figure out what to do with it. If people are telling you certain things, you know, to do with your writing or do with, 
you know, your tone on something, whether it's social media or your writing, you don't have to, it's not necessarily a knock, but it's something that you can take and do with it whatever you want to make yourself better. But it helps to just get a good understanding of what's out there. And it doesn't have to just apply to your team. Um, I read things from so many different writers to see their styles. I read Kat Silverman for her goaltending analysis, even when only one of the 10 stories will be about a Ranger goalie, just because I know I can learn from her stories. The Columbus Blue Jackets do not have much influence on the Rangers, but if Allison's writing it, I'm reading it. You know, um, anything Red Red Wings that Prashanth writes, I'm going to read it immediately. Or um, Sean Ferris was doing everything with the Bruins, a team I don't even like. I'm reading it because his analysis (laughs) is so good and I feel like I can learn from it. So there's so many people that are willing to help that you shouldn't be afraid to ask questions. And there are times that I feel like the biggest idiot in the world asking the questions that I do. And it's something that might be fixed so easily. But just ask. It doesn't hurt. You know, um, I know HockeyGraphs is trying to put out ways that people can ask questions when it comes to analytics or coding or anything like that. And even allow people to do it anonymously if they don't, if they feel ashamed asking something that they feel like is a simple question. Ask the questions. Talk to everyone you can. And a lot of people out there are more than receptive and willing to work with you and help you go through whatever it is. So the more you talk to people, the more you read and more you learn, the better you'll be. That's great advice. Um, I really appreciate you coming on. And this has been a really fun conversation. And I feel like I've learned a lot just in this like 30 minutes. So thank you. Thank you. Is there anything that you're working on right now that you want to plug or like just your Twitter or whatever? Um, yeah, everything I do will be posted on Twitter. Um, we're going to add some things to behind the benches. So penalty minutes and updating the coaches challenge. That'll be updated once a month. And um, hopefully special team stories I'll have for the athletics soon. And I think I have, I guess it'll be done like late October so that's a story on coaches challenge. So we can like learn a little bit more about it as the new rules are being used that like we can understand the trends. Awesome. And uh, are you still making scarves? Yes. Um, I only fill everyone's timeline with pictures of scarves constantly, but (laughs) yeah. Um, I cannot recommend your scarves enough. Uh, One was gifted to me by Megan Hall uh, last year. Oh, yeah, that's right. You have the saber scarf. Yes. And it is so cozy. I have it in my office at work because it is like freezing temperatures in there all year round. And I love it so much. So uh, that's my personal endorsement for your scarves. I'm so glad to hear that. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you, everyone, for listening. Um, You can find me on Twitter at hburrito92. And I will be linking both Shana's Twitter and my Twitter in the show notes so that you can find us very easily. Uh, Until next time. Thanks for listening. Bye.